Welcome to the Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery, where every death had a life and every life had a story. My name is Jenny Johnson. Good evening, and I am Diane Hartshorn. Today's episode will take us high into the gold mines of the Colorado Rocky Mountains. From the Tri-Weekly Register Call, September 14, 1863, two burial places have been recently selected and enclosed, one by the Catholics and one by the Freemasons, on the hill west of Central towards Nevadaville. We would suggest it is time a spot were fixed upon for a general cemetery. The one now in use on the hill north of us has never been set apart by general consent. July 17, 1880, by order of the city council, all bodies will be removed from the old graveyard at 4th Street. Work will be commenced Monday, July 26th. All parties having friends or relatives buried there be on ground to claim the remains. July 30th, 1880. A number of bodies resurrected from the old city cemetery were boxed up today and removed to the present city cemetery above Max Brewery on the Divide between Eureka and Quartz Valley. Oh, the joys of settling a new community. Where to bury the dead? And yet, it is a very real necessity faced by every community ever. On May 6, 1859, a hopeful man by the name of John H. Gregory discovered gold in the snow-covered Rocky Mountains in what is now the state of Colorado. In the months that followed his discovery, thousands of men, and some women, flocked to the area with hopes of striking it rich. The towns of Central City, Mountain City, Black Hawk, Nevadaville, Zuri Flats, and many others were soon formed as more discoveries were made and the mines began dotting the mountainsides. One of the men who came was a Cornish miner named Hugh Champion. He, like hundreds of other tin miners from Cornwall, England, was looking to improve his fortunes so that he could marry the love of his life and give her all the best things gold could buy. Cornish miners were highly sought after as they were considered some of the most skilled and knowledgeable miners in the world. Times were tough in their English communities, so hundreds and hundreds booked passage to America to work in its western territories. In 1861, Hugh left his sweetheart, Lavinia, behind in England, promising to send for her when he had saved enough money. Lavinia was relieved because they had argued about his going to America right after he left, and she thought perhaps their engagement was over, but she never gave up hope. After the long journey from England and then across America, Lavinia Perry arrived in Central City on September 26, 1863. She was lovingly greeted by Hugh and a number of other locals as she was ushered into the home of a well-to-do young widow, where she was able to freshen up and change into the wedding dress she had made before leaving England. When Lavinia was ready, she was taken to a small clearing outside where townspeople sat on benches and Hugh and the minister waited for her. Traditional Cornish songs were sung in celebration as Miss Lavinia Perry said her vows and became Mrs. Hugh Champion. News from the Tri-Weekly Miners Register, August 1st, 1862. Charles H. Switz, killed by George W. Harrison, who fired three shots from the balcony of the National Theater, each shot hitting Switz, who was standing on the sidewalk in front of Barnes's saloon. August 27th, 1862. He issued a Methodist church, Central City, against desecration of God's holy day by merchants, millmen, miners, and persons of all vocations in these mountains. A committee of three ladies appointed to try and stop the great and growing evil. 
September 12, 1862. All the persons in the county jail escaped. September 27, 1862. First police, night only force, paid by subscription of citizens, went on duty. Three officers wore silver stars made by Assie and Johnson, Central City Drawers. Register said on Monday, it was the first Saturday night we had been able to sleep in weeks. Like so many communities in the West during the gold rush, these towns popped up very quickly. When Lavinia first arrived, she was shocked by how ugly the area was. All the trees had been cut down and vegetation had been cleared in order to mine the land and place buildings for people to work and live in. In 1863, much of Blackhawk, Central City, Mountain City, as well as the other communities that had popped up in the area were a mishmash of wooden buildings and tents. However, the people of these communities were determined settle them and make them feel like home. It was not many years before churches and schools were built, as well as permanent businesses such as blacksmith shops, general stores, jewelry stores, and more. Like many mining communities, there was plenty of drama. But in this particular area, there were even more law-abiding, church-attending citizens than was usual with many boom towns. The communities were soon settled by people from all over America, England, Germany, Ireland, Italy, and China. Central City soon became known as the richest square mile on earth. The gold that was being mined there and in the surrounding mountains was worth millions of dollars. But that didn't mean times were easy or that the majority of the folks living in these communities were striking it rich. Many of the miners and their families were making just enough to scrape by. In addition, there were many dangers and health problems faced by the people of these communities. Hugh was a very strong and healthy man, but Lavinia still worried about what might happen to him while working in the mines. There were any number of dangers the men faced, and their families never quite knew if they would come home safe at the end of the day. Many young wives were left as widows, and many children left fatherless. Here are just a few of the dangers faced by miners on a daily basis, as reported by the Rocky Mountain News. May 24, 1867, Robert Allen injured, scaffold breaks. April 5, 1870, Enos Lofren, toes amputated by mine slide. December 23, 1871, Don Beard killed by falling off building. October 19, 1879, Richard James, killed by an explosion. October 23, 1880, Alex Johnson, severely injured in fall down a mine shaft. And it wasn't just the men that faced danger. It saddened Lavinia to walk through the city cemetery and see headstones of so many women and children. Many of the women had lost their lives in childbirth, and the children died of complications in childbirth or due to disease. On more than one occasion, there had been outbreaks of typhoid fever and diphtheria, both diseases deadly to young children. It was not an easy place to raise a family. As the years passed, Hugh and Lavinia buried four of their 10 children. Their first son, William Don, was born on September 23, 1864, and died on August 11, 1865, after developing a very high fever and had trouble breathing. He was less than one year old. The second baby, Lily, was born July 31, 1866. She died on September 7, 1866, 
after contracting pneumonia. Both she and William were buried in the original cemetery above 4th Street before being moved to the family plot located in the Knights of Pythia Cemetery. Their third child, Edith, was born November 24, 1867. She died July 17, 1877, after suffering from a very high fever for only a few short hours. She was not quite 10 years old. John Sherman, their ninth child, was born February 11, 1880. He died on April 23, 1880, just shy of being three months old. And yet, life in Central City and the surrounding communities was not all gloom and doom. Folks in town loved to be entertained. In 1862, the Montana Theater opened in Mountain City. You could see Shakespeare, hear music, or listen to recitations of Rip Van Winkle and Uncle Tom's Cabin. Sadly, the Montana Theater was lost to fire in 1874. However, the Belvedere Theater was quickly established on the second floor of the new armory building in Central City. This theater was culturally important to the Central City and the surrounding communities as it brought in acts from all over America. But the Belvedere proved to be too small, and in 1877, construction began on the Central City Opera House. This was a glorious theater, both inside and out. In the Rocky Mountain News on December 1877, new Opera House in Central City, now approaching completion, is said to be a perfect little gem, both exterior and interior architecture and embellishment having the most beautiful auditorium to be found between Chicago and San Francisco. The first show opened on March 4, 1878, to a sold-out crowd. Reserved seating was a dollar, and the gallery seats were only 75 cents. There was not a theater like it anywhere in Colorado. Many important people from all over the state came for opening night. Hugh and Lavinia did not attend it, as it was not in their budget, but they loved reading the details in the paper and were proud that they lived in the city with the best theater in the state. They were also proud that Central City boasted the best, most luxurious hotel in the state. The Teller House opened for business in 1872. For $2 per night, you could be comfortably entertained and safe from burglars. The Teller House was one of the first hotels to develop an individual locking system for each guest room so that doors could not be unlocked from the outside. This meant that guests could sleep peaceably and not worry about being shot or robbed in the middle of the night. There was also running water on each floor, and the hotel boasted a dining room with the best food for miles around. While Hugh and Lavinia were proud to call Central City home, law and order was still something that wasn't always kept. Before Colorado was a state, it was part of the Kansas Territory. However, places like Central City were too far away for lawmakers and authorities of Kansas to really have any true control over what was happening in the mining communities. Instead, a miners' court was formed. It was the duty of this court to enact a code of laws, both criminal and civil, to define the boundaries of the district and to prescribe the duties of the officers and to elect those officers. The criminal code read as follows. First section. Any person guilty of willful murder upon conviction thereof shall be hung by the neck until dead. Second section. Any person guilty of manslaughter or homicide shall be punished as a jury of 12 men may direct. Third section. 
any person shooting or threatening to shoot another, using or threatening to use any deadly weapons except in self-defense, shall be fined to a sum not less than $50 nor more than $500 and receive in addition as many stripes on his bare back as a jury of six men may direct and be banished from the district. Fourth section, any person found guilty of petty larceny shall be fined in some double the amount stolen and such other punishment as a jury of six men may direct. Fifth section, any person found guilty of grand larceny shall be fined in sum double the amount stolen and receive not less than 50 nor more than 300 lashes on his bare back. He shall be banished from the district and such other punishment as a jury of six men may direct. While the champions did have some apprehensions about crime in their community, they felt safe in their beds, knowing that in 1863, Billy Cozens had been elected sheriff of Gilpin County. William Zane Cozens was born in Canada on July 4, 1830, and moved to New York as a young child. Once grown, he left New York and worked as a carpenter in Chicago, Joliet, and St. Louis. In 1859, he became one of thousands of men determined to find gold in Colorado. He was an unsuccessful miner, but he was well up on doing other jobs. He served both as a clerk and a bartender before being elected sheriff. Cozens was a tough, but fair sheriff. At the time he was elected, there was no actual jail in Central City. It was rumored that because of this, on his wedding night, he had a prisoner chained to the end of his bed. In 1862, Billy built Washington Hall, which was the first jail in Central City and later became City Hall. From Central City's Daily Miners Register, February 13, 1866, Frank King, an old offender, was brought in to answer to the charge of being drunk on the Lord's Day. Charge proved, and Frank went up to see Billy Cozens in default of the wherewith to pay fine tax at $10 and cost. George McConnell got drunk on Sunday and yesterday was taxed $3 and cost for the offense against the city ordinances. George went along with Frank to talk the matter over with Cozens. Another worry that Lavinia had, especially as her sons grew older, were the brothels. There were several in Central City and even a few in Blackhawk. She was not fond of the idea that her sons might enjoy the company of such ladies of the night. As reported in the register call on November 6, 1864, Madam Wright, who has so long been the nuisance of Eureka Street, whose crib is just below the new Methodist church, was arrested for larceny last night before probate judge Guyane and brought over to appear in the next term of the district court. We understand the evidence is conclusive against her. It is high time that she were routed from the place she occupies on one of the most public and respectable streets in our city. Perhaps such creatures should be permitted to live in the community, but they certainly ought to be severely treated for their offenses against morality and law, and compelled to move to some remote locality where their presence will be less annoying. On December 15, 1864, a lewd woman known by the name of Aunt Sal was murdered in Spring Gulch on Tuesday night by a pimp who is now lodged in jail. She was bruised in a most horrible and brutal manner. The evidence is conclusive and the culprit will undoubtedly swing for it. Another person was arrested the same evening for stealing a coat and was bound over. Even with all the hardships, 
The champions had many happy moments throughout the years. Their children were being educated in the schools, and by taking in single minors as boarders, they always had enough money to keep their home comfortable. They kept the cow and chickens in their backyard. Hugh worked as a volunteer firefighter, wrestled for fun, and participated in many other sports enjoyed by the men of the town. However, by the time he was 46, he was suffering from silicosis, a disease common to many miners who spent their days breathing in the quartz dust deep in the mines. Hugh had actually lived longer than many others who suffered from the disease. An average life expectancy was generally mid-30s. Hugh spent an agonizing last year, not being able to do much more than sit upright in a chair. He passed away on New Year's Day in 1886. He was 47 years, three months, and 24 days old. He was buried in the Champion family plot next to the four children who had left the world before him. Lavinia would outlive him by another 26 years. Her daughter, Emily, would die at the age of 18 in 1894 and would be buried with Hugh and her siblings. Lavinia missed her husband terribly, who fared better than many other widows. Because she was able to take in boarders, she was able to support herself and her remaining children for many years. As they got married and started their own families, they looked after her. Lavinia passed away on Easter morning, April 7th, 1912. It was her favorite day of the year. Her obituary in the weekly register call read, April 12th, 1912. Died in Central City, Colorado, Sunday, April 7th, 1912. Mrs. Lavinia Champion, aged 75 years. Deceased came to Gilpin County 49 years ago and was married in Central City on September 26, 1863, to Hugh Champion, who came from Cornwall two years before her. They had 10 children. She is survived by one son, Albert, and a daughter, Edith, who resided with her, and by two other daughters, Mrs. Lily Hoskin of Sedalia, Colorado, and Mrs. Mabel Trededmick, who resides in California. Mrs. Champion lived in Mountain City. The residence in which she died has been her home for 46 years. Her family is one of the oldest in the county, where they have a large circle of friends who extend their sympathy in their bereavement. Funeral services were held from the Methodist Church in this city on Wednesday afternoon at 1.30 o'clock. Internment in the Knights of Pythias Cemetery. Fortunately, the Champion plot is still intact and can be visited today. Knights of Pythias Cemetery is one of six cemeteries in Central City, all located on the same hill. The other cemeteries are the Independent Order of Oddfellows, the Red Men Lodge Cemetery, the Catholic Cemetery, the Central City Cemetery, and the Forester Cemetery. The Champion Plot, not far from the main gate, is marked with a large black granite stone that says Champion. In front are three smaller stones that say Emily, Father, and Mother. The markers for the other children are no longer there. The original markers were made of wood. There's also a plaque that was placed by the family that reads, in memory of our great-grandparents, Champion, Lavina Perry, 26 June 1837, 7 April 1912. Hugh, 
7th September, 1836, the 1 January, 1856, In the fall, the aspen trees turn gold for a short time before the leaves fall and cover many of the graves. Many of the tombstones have been knocked crooked by the growth of new trees. Others have fallen or sunken into the ground. On the far side of the Central City Cemetery are the remains of a mining operation. The timbers of the shaft are rotting away with time. It is a place of deep tranquility and where you can feel the history buzz around you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Ordinary extraordinary cemetery. We hope you have enjoyed traveling back in time to learn about the champions and to take a small peek in life at a gold mining camp in the 1800s. If you would like to read more about Hugh and Lavinia, you can purchase the book, No Wealth for Lavinia by Amy Hoskin Hill on Amazon or through the Gilpin County Historical Society. We look forward to bringing you another episode next week. It too will focus on Central City and the surrounding communities, but we will be moving forward in time, starting with World War I to the present day. If you have enjoyed this episode, please let us know by sending us a message on Facebook or Instagram at Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery, all one word, no punctuation, or send us an email at ordinaryextraordinarycemetery at gmail.com. Again, that's ordinaryextraordinarycemetery at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Also, you can find other books and resources we used for research for this episode on our Facebook page and Instagram. Thank you to the Gilpin County Historical Society and the Central City Visitor Center. Their help has been invaluable to the research for this podcast. You can also purchase the following books through them. Penny Waits' Bits and Pieces of Gilpin County History by Alan Granath. No Wealth for Lavinia by Amy Hoskin-Hill. Central City, The Richest Square Mile on Earth, History of Gilpin County by Darlene Leslie, Kelly Rankin-Suntner, and Deborah Whiteman. Check out the Gilpin Historical Society at gilpinhistory.org and the Central City Visitor Center at centralcity.colorado.gov. I would also like to say a huge thank you to all of you who listened to our first episode We are truly delighted that there are so many of you who are just as interested in cemeteries and the stories they tell, and we look forward to bringing as many of them to you as we can. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening. Until we meet again.